Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Morning, church. Now you can all exhale because I'm not going to be delivering the sermon. (laughs) I know there was a little bit of anxiety when you saw, like, like, who is this guy? (laughs) Um, Oh, I do have my name up there. I'm Dave Allen, and I'm part of the elder board. And I'm up here uh, for a few minutes just to talk to you about a couple of points of elder news and um, wanted to bring you up to speed on some things that are happening. And two fronts, we've got a change in the elder board to report on, and we're also forming a nominating, or a formed nominating committee to uh, vet out and bring forward candidates to fill vacant elder seats coming up. So um, I'll I'll just read this. Several weeks ago, uh, Chad Fleming asked that he be released from the elder council effective July 31st. His term would have expired at the end of this year, but Chad is choosing to step away at this time. In the midst of these uh, last several months, Chad gained clarity with his convictions regarding the structure and function of elders at Centerpoint. Chad's conviction is that elders should be more deeply involved in daily life of the church, more than just the doctrinal and strategic oversight of the church as outlined in the Constitution. So at this point, Chad decided and and didn't want to impose these kind of convictions on the next nominating committee that's coming up and on the implementation of the priority-based action plan, which will be spotlighting family, witness, and discipleship. These are the things that have surfaced in our uh, bubble-up session back in February, and plans are being formed to launch uh, an initiative around those three things this fall. So he he decided that it would be best not to interfere with that. Chad stated that while at the elder table, he has felt heard, acknowledged, and he stands with the decisions that have been made. Chad's intention is to leave as a friend with friends. Regarding the elder board, he also went on to say, he was greatly encouraged to learn that a group of men really can walk together, receive grace, exchange forgiveness, and can hold a deep and meaningful relationship. I, for one, really respect Chad uh, for the way he's handled this and uh, in coming to this decision. You know, we're all grateful for Chad and the service that he's uh, uh, provided on the elder board, grateful for Kristen and the entire family for the sacrifices that uh, they've made while Chad has spent his time as elder. So just want you to hear that news. Um, At the same time, we have selected or we have found volunteers to join in a nominating committee uh, that's being introduced to you today. And in two weeks, you will have an opportunity, the members will have an opportunity to vote to affirm that nominating committee. It's an all slate up or down for the entire slate. There's four members at large on it and three elders, um, Mark Cheeseman and um, Todd O'Neill and myself (laughs) will be uh, serving on it. And we'll have uh, Bonnie Record, Leah Lundquist, um, uh, Wendy Gasway, and Janelle McCabe also have volunteered to serve on that. So there's going to be bios available out in the commons. Uh, You'll be getting an email with the biographical data of the individuals. So please be praying over that, uh, thinking on that. And um, I look forward to see what the Lord is going to do in uh, raising up men to serve on, on this next term of elder board. My term ends this December also, so we've got up to three seats to fill, So, um, but God, anything's possible with God, and it's all for his glory. So with that, we'll turn it over to the guy who will preach, <laughs> and if you can also pray. Thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, let's just pause for a moment and, uh, and pray uh, together as, as church family. Let's pray. God, uh, we first want to just stop and thank you for, for Chad and the way that he has invested himself uh, over decades, but particularly these last few years as he has invested himself uh, around the elder table. 
Um, thank you for his love uh, for you and for uh, your church. That's, that's been great. I pray that you would uh, bless him and uh, restore him uh, as only you can through your spirit. Father, we also pray for the nominating committee and that you will help them to discern uh, who in our midst you are raising up to take a seat at this leadership table. Uh, Thank you for them and their willingness to serve. We pray that you would empower them through your spirit to discern even now uh, and that uh, they would, as they come together, they would experience you flowing freely in their midst, uh, giving them eyes to see and ears to hear in, in special ways. And for our church father, um, we pray that you would uh, settle your peace on us, that you would uh, continue to grow us as a, a community that is marked uh, by the grace of your son Jesus, uh, a community that is marked by faith, hope, and love uh, in a way that brings honor and glory to your name and that draws people to yourself uh, as we live out our calling as witnesses together as your people. So walk in our midst, even here as we gather today. Uh, Help us to be aware of your presence. Uh, Through the power of your spirit, make your word come alive to us today as we open your word. Speak to us. Uh, Give us eyes to see. Uh, Give us, Lord, ears to hear. And, uh, and we pray that you would do a work in our spirits, that you would soften our hearts, uh, that we would be teachable, that we would be humble before you and pliable in your care. Uh, we trust you, and we're excited for what you're going to do here uh, as we continue to gather in your name. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Rescuer, our Lord, our Master. In his name we pray. Let it be so. Amen. Good, good. Uh, Go ahead and start turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. We're going to be jumping right in here to Acts chapter 15. I also want to remind everybody, uh, August is a special time of year. There are are moments we do this throughout the year, but August is a month that we take uh, all together August is what we call it. And so our, our kids don't go running out. Oftentimes after the music stops and before I start talking, the kids are heading for the doors and going to do, go do kids stuff. But uh, for August, they hang here with us, even through the message. It's good to see you, Patty. Good to see your face. Love that. Oh, is your pa- I got, your hair is like Patty's. I messed that up. Yeah, your hair is like Patty's today and I'm, Got light in my eyes. I just goofed that up. We'll erase that off of the online thing. (laughs) So uh, kids are with us today. Apparently kids are teaching us today. And uh, so they're hanging out with us. And so what we know is that this means there's going to be a little bit of extra noise. There's going to be a little bit of extra movement. And so parents, just relax around that stuff. Uh, nobody's going to get ornery around you if your kids get the wiggles. If you need stuff, we got some kids' supplies for families right at the back there. Feel free to get up while I'm talking to do that. If uh, you're just like, my kid's about to absolutely blow up and you need to go walk around outside, you know, out, out there a little bit, you can do that in the commons. The message is being piped in over there. We even have a room for families. That's marked off there, so you can go hang out in there a little bit. Probably some other families. Uh, letting the kids get the wiggles out. So anyway, this is all together August. We want our kids in here with us. Uh, this is part of how we get to be family together. This is how as, as parents and as uh, spiritual parents and aunts and uncles and all that church family, we train our kids with what it looks like to worship God, to put ourselves under his care as we learn from him, those kinds of things. So this is what we model. And so this is why we're doing this thing. All right. So for those of you who are new to us today, this is what you're jumping into. And we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're continuing our series called Beautiful Feet, and we're looking at the New Testament book of Acts in how God is empowered through his spirit, filled people to bring his message, his good news out into the world. And so we're, we're continuing to do that, and we're going to be looking at the first 21 verses of Acts chapter 15. So I'll invite you to, to read along. Feel free to grab a Bible from one of the pockets in front of you. Use your own Bible. You can look it up on your phone. You can follow along on the screen you want. Though I always prefer it if you've got your own Bible, electronic or paper. It's up to you. I like the paper, at least for this kind of stuff, because it gives us context, but even if it's just your phone, because that's going to let you look around, look before, go back and look at things. Once it's on the screen, it's gone, and then you're not able to look back on it. So I want, like, it's good to have our Bibles here as we learn from God together. All right, Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. 
Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Parents, enjoy that conversation with your kids. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers really glad. And when they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, you might remember them, uh, stood up and they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers... You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you, t- why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. He was one of the elders there in Jerusalem. James spoke up and he said, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And this he's quoting from Amos here. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And then James continued, verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. That's interesting, huh? couple of things percolating up there. Uh, I actually want to be able to just jump right in here together, but there's no doubt that you're seeing some things, and there's things that might even seem a little bit confusing as you're noticing that, and some things to stand out uh, from some others. But I want to dive in to to look at this, because there's some ways that we can experience a similar, similar controversy or questions that they're asking here. And they're asking the question, who's saved? Who, who is saved? Like, that's the question that's being laid out here. Now, remember, as they're, as they're doing this, um, they're, they're, they're trying to figure it out by the, the power of the Holy Spirit. That They're recognizing that the, um, the delivery system, if you will, uh, to, for the gospel of Jesus to make its way out into the world, the delivery system was, uh, was Judaism. Uh, Jesus himself was a faithful Jew, and, and the, the message spread from Jerusalem there, even through the persecution of those who decided to follow Jesus, it spread out. And you'll even notice when, when um, the, the missionaries would go out, one of the first places they go is into the synagogue, right? Because Jesus is set in the context of what God has revealed through the nation of Israel, through Judaism, the law of Moses, the scriptures, the writings, the Psalms. This is the context for understanding who Jesus is as Messiah. And so as the gospel spreads, it's delivered delivery system is is Judaism. And so that created some of this controversy that we're reading about here. Now, a lot of times when we're talking about our faith and we're talking about Jesus, we want to tidy it up. We want to snip off some of the edges. 
Uh, and let's just cut to the quick. And so there certainly is, you know, one or two verses in this section that we read here today that, that really is the bread and butter of the whole thing. And, and, and so we, we could just kind of snip off the edges and cut right to the chase. But I think it's important for us to hear a story. As God reveals himself, one of the primary ways that he reveals himself and that's recorded for us in scripture is through story. And so let's pay attention to this story and let's see not only how, what, what is said here, what the answer is to the question, but let's also notice how they approached it and how they got there. And so in the midst of this question, there are, are, and the question is begged because some teachers, we're not giving their names, are coming from the outside. They're, they're kind of coming into these new Jesus communities and they're saying, great, you're, you're Gentiles, you are giving yourself to Jesus, so you need to be circumcised. And, um, and then, then you'll be faithful to what God has and that's, that's how your salvation is going to come to you. I got to imagine that's going to stop some conversation around town, right? And so, uh, it, and so Paul and Barnabas step into this and like, whoa, 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 time out, text. Here's, here's what's going on here. And, and you're coming in with this stuff. And so they were in sharp dispute with them. Like, no, it wasn't just, hmm, I wonder. It's like, no, 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 that's not how this goes. And so they kind of worked this out. And then we noticed that they, they made their way back to Jerusalem. The, the apostles and, and the elders were centered in Jerusalem. And so as they're trying to figure these things out, uh, they went back to Jerusalem in order to get kind of the, the final word on these things. And so we see just even how they approach this. Uh, they approach, as the, as the question is held out, even in the midst of controversy, uh, we see in this approach a humility and a wisdom in community. We see humility and wisdom in community, right? This going back to Jerusalem. And as they go back to the council in Jerusalem, they get with clarity the answer. Look again in verse 11. With clarity, the council, James speaks for the council. This James, most likely, is, uh, is actually the brother of Jesus who, who didn't buy the whole Jesus thing when he was alive, but it was after the resurrection that James came to believe that his brother indeed was Messiah. And so he, he's one of the elders in Jerusalem. And so he's speaking for the council of elders. In verse 11, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Jews and Gentiles, they're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. We are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And he says, as evidence of that is God has given the Holy Spirit to Jew and Gentile in the same way. So it's not like we see, um, uh, again, kind of in, the, in uh, the, the Jewish community receive a special anointing of the Holy Spirit. As it went out to Gentiles, they received the Holy Spirit. And so God is affirming that salvation is through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how one is drawn into this new life. This is how one receives the forgiveness of sin. This is how one uh, begins this, this life of walking with God, this flourishing life. This is all that's packed into salvation there. And so, so they are saved, we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus is this bottom line thing. And it is true for everyone. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what language, language you speak. It doesn't matter your profession. It doesn't matter your man or woman. It doesn't matter um, rich or poor. It doesn't matter. Everyone is saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. And this is established as this bottom line affirmation through the council of Jerusalem and affirmed by the Holy Spirit for both Jews and Gentiles. And so even as the question of salvation gets answered with precise clarity, like this is the place in your Bible, like circle this one. If you got it on your phone, highlight it. Saved by the grace, saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, right? That's the bottom line reality, affirmed through the Holy Spirit. But then it begs this question, like, like what will we see? What does this life of salvation look like? 
What does the life of salvation look like? And so they considered this too. And so the council said, Here, here's what we're hearing. Here's the things that are being discussed. And we're going to send a letter. This is how they did it. They just kind of tweet the thing out or put it on their website or whatever. They're, like, they're going to send a letter back with Paul and Barnabas to go back to these other churches and say, here's the instructions. Right? The affirmation, salvation through the grace of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit is present in our midst. All the signs and the wonders. Hear the stories about the signs and the wonders. The evidence of the Holy Spirit there. Fantastic. And, and then um, the letter also contains... Uh, and, and also, uh, here's some things you need to integrate into your life. Did you hear those things as I read them? Right? Again, it's going to make for some great lunch conversations. And so it's just like the, the, the council of Jerusalem said, here's some things you need to do. Here, here's what life with Jesus looks like. We see this laid out in verses um, 19 uh, through 21. This is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Right? We're going like, to like, come on in. Come on in. We're not going to put up a bunch of barriers to life with God. Verse 20, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, to abstain from the meat of strangled animals, and to abstain from blood, uh, or it could also be referring to animals who still have blood in them. <laughs> it's an interesting list, isn't it? I, I, I found myself like, like chuckling as I went through this, like, like they're holding out like, out of all the conversations they had, this is what they're holding out. Yes, and as you, as you give yourselves to Jesus and you form an allegiance to him, here's how you should live. Make sure you abstain from meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Um, make sure you abstain from sexual immorality and uh, uh, animals that have been strangled. Like, I've got kind of this image in my head of like with the, you know, who's like strangling the... the the cow, like, you know, so I don't know, but it's like, it's just this, this interesting list and it begs a question, doesn't it? Like it, it's a curious question. It, we might imagine like, okay, we already got the salvation through Jesus part down. Let's not pay attention to the rest, but, but there's something here for us that's important for us to pay attention to. And so James sends out this thing on behalf of the council. These are the things that they're holding on to. And, and notice how did they wrestle with these questions? There's a few dynamics here. One of those uh, we see highlighted here is, is tradition. Uh, tradition is a part of what they used to wrestle with this. Uh, so, and, and we see that uh, when they came to the council and then in their midst was a believer, a follower of Jesus, who was from the party of the Pharisees. He, he was entrenched in the teachings of the Pharisees as a Jew. And so he's coming in and saying, no, this is what it's got to look like. Uh, and he's the one that's advocating for circumcision uh, for Gentiles. Um, yeah, let's be, like, we're Gentiles here today. So followers of Jesus, let's give it up for James on this one that the Pharisee didn't win. But he's wrestling with this tradition. And so we see the, the, tra the tradition coming out here and their, their understanding of how scripture fits in tradition and how that plays out. Uh, culture does, because again, these are even woven into cultural pieces, but also we, we note that it's moving out further into the, the Roman spaces, which are governed not by Judaism. In, in Israel and Judah, there was a lot of influence of, of Judaism there in the law of Moses. It was something they could trust even broadly outside of synagogue. But as we move further out of Jerusalem into uh, Roman and Greek spaces, um, those spaces are governed by uh, you know, idol worship and, and the worship of Greek and Roman gods. And so they'd have these massive temples built to them. And so the, the worship of these gods was endemic into the culture. And so we even see in these things that are highlighted here, like not eating meat sacrificed to idols. Like that, that might be an important thing for them to acknowledge that part of following Jesus is we're, we're putting the idol stuff, we're putting the, the worship and temple stuff over here, uh, just abstain from it. Uh, let go of that part of maybe has been a part of your life. And so we're seeing the cultural play a role in here. And, uh, and, and it's begging the question, like, how do we live faithfully in pagan regions? And so not, but not only is there tradition that they're wrestling with, there's culture that they're wrestling with, um, 
it really boils down to, to how, how do we view Scripture in this? So, so Scripture is this gift, is this tool that God has given for wrestling and understanding. Because what we see is that uh, Christianity, uh, Jesus, moves freely throughout the whole world. It, it, it makes its way into different cultures and languages and values and traditions, all these things all over the place. And, and that's the Part of the beauty of the gospel is it, is it moves all over the place. It doesn't require um, kind of a, a cultural conversion before a spiritual awakening and revitalization through the power of the Spirit. And yet what can also happen is as the gospel moves through these various cultures, the cultures can begin to kind of take it over and begin to, to envelop it. And so now it's hard to distinguish between what is Christianity and what is culture. And so that, that's the danger of a gospel that moves freely into all of the ethnicities and cultures of our world. And so they're grappling with this piece even in the first century of the church. And so to do that, they find themselves anchoring in scriptures. Now, they would have had predominantly what we have as our Old Testament as their scriptures. Those were Jesus' scriptures. Those are the scriptures that are here in the beginning of the church. Um, so they don't have the New Testament like we do. Like we're reading the New Testament. This is how it's happening. And so uh, they, they drew on these things. So a couple of places that James is drawing on, we get it listed here by Luke. Luke gives us uh, this in uh, verses 16, 17, and 18. He's drawing from um, the prophet Amos. Like this is a quote from the prophet Amos. And, and as we see this, it's clear that, that God has brought discipline to Israel, but he's going to restore it. And as he restores Israel, he's going to reveal himself from within Israel and do so in a way that draws all nations to himself. Like that's what the prophet Amos is talking about. And so James, no doubt in these conversations, this is the overt piece, but there are some things running in the background. James didn't need to Google the Hebrew scriptures. He was well-trained in Hebrew scriptures, as were those who were at that Jerusalem council. And so it's likely that their, their mind would have gone to some other places that affirmed that. If we were to look um, at, at Jeremiah, you know, so coming off of Amos, look at Jeremiah chapter 12. Uh, beginning in verse 14. It's not going to be on the screen, so you can Google it, write it down, check it out later, or just listen to what I'm saying. Uh, Jeremiah says this, this is what the Lord says, as for all my wicked neighbors who seize the inheritance I gave my people Israel, I will uproot them from their lands and I will uproot the people of Judah from among them. But after I uproot them, I will again have compassion and will bring each of them back to their own inheritance and to their own country. And if they, kind of those who are the non-Israelite, uh, verse 16, and if they learn well the ways of my people and swear by my name, saying, as surely as the Lord lives, even as they once were taught by my, by my people to swear to Baal, then they will be established among my people. Right? So it's this, Jeremiah is talking about those who are not God's people coming and taking on his name, becoming his people. And so, just like Amos was doing, Jeremiah is talking about this. It's rich in the prophetic tradition. Uh, we can skip on over to Zechariah. There's another theme being established here, Zechariah chapter 2. Uh, and so we look at uh, verse 10. Uh, again, not on the screens, follow it in your Bibles, or you can write it down for later. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Right? This God is with his people, in the midst of his people. Verse 11, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Did you hear that? Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. And so here they are in real time. The council of Jerusalem is wrestling with these realities through the Holy Spirit and their, their devotion to Jesus. Their, their eyes are being opened to see what God has always been doing. That, and, and James even says this, like every week as we gather in synagogue, the scriptures are written for us. It is now clear God is gathering the nations to himself. Like this is the heart that's being captured as the community wrestles with this. All right, but it's anchoring himself in uh, 
in, in the scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures. So drawing on Amos, drawing on Jeremiah, drawing on Zechariah, God will bring Gentiles into their midst uh, that, that they might know his salvation. And then from there, what we see is, again, it's this, the list that he gives, right? So they're wrestling, like, like, what are the things we need to hold out? Well, the question begs, what was expected of the Gentiles who would be among God's people? What was expected of the Gentiles who would be among God's people? That's listed in Leviticus chapters 17 and 18. We're not going to look at that all right now. Do you know what the, the, the big bullets are of Leviticus chapters 17 and 18? Don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Don't eat meat that still has blood in it. Don't eat meat that has been strangled. And keep yourselves from sexual immorality. Leviticus 17 and 18. And this is laid out all the way back in the Mosaic law of the Gentiles that God will bring to join his people. What should they do? How should they integrate in this? How should they live amongst as God's people? And so here they are taking those very same pieces that God has already been saying and they're translating those scriptures into this immediate context. And so it's not just let's roll a dice and figure out what rules should we come up with. What are the rules that we should come up with that make us feel better? But they're discerning together in humility and wisdom in community. What is God asking of those who are not Jewish, those who are Gentile, who are joining us? And this is what it looks like. The foundation, salvation comes by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Full stop. What does life look like to walk in faithfulness to King Jesus, they're looking back in order to lay out what this looks like. Taking into the tradition, the culture, those pieces, but the foundation is scripture. Okay, that's what's going on, what we're seeing in Acts chapter 15. But can you begin to see how we wrestle with some of those same things ourselves? Like we're not... It's not the exact same situation that we're in, but we live in a pluralistic world. We, we live as, as people of faithfulness to Jesus in a world that is not faithful to Jesus. And, and try as hard as we might to make the culture bend uh, to the lordship of Jesus, it doesn't. We live in a world that scripture tells us is governed by the powers and principalities that stand opposed to God. And so what does it look like? Who can be saved? Who is saved? And sometimes we even answer this question similarly to the Pharisees and we hold out a bunch of um, rigid hurdles making it difficult for somebody to come into saving relationship with God. And so we build walls, we build fences, we patch up holes, and we expect people to hurdle over, behave a certain way. And it can be different things in different contexts, but we've all probably at least experienced that at some level in our lives. And what it all boils down to is how is one saved? Through the grace of the Lord Jesus, full stop. And what is the evidence of that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the evidence of that. And we haven't yet, in, uh, by this point in Acts, fleshed out the fruit of the Spirit, but the Apostle Paul, who was a part of this conversation, he's going to be fleshing that out for us later, that we see the marks of the Spirit, and here's what this looks like, and here's what love looks like, activated and animated by the Holy Spirit. Those things are yet to come, but we're still held out in, in even in our day, there's this wrestling that we have to do. Because the gospel goes all over. It makes its way all over. But as it makes its way all over, the temptation and what can happen is the, the cultures, the value systems that the gospel comes into can begin to, to usurp the power of the gospel. And so we've got to wrestle with how do we walk in faithful obedience to Jesus. Our salvation is from Christ alone. And in our salvation, in this new life that he has given us, we have to work out what does it look like to walk in faithful obedience. And so this is where we begin to see how they came about to doing some of this stuff. Now, sometimes what we'll do with scripture is we'll say, well, Acts laid out the list there, so that needs to be our list too. But what it actually leads us to is the invitation 
to discern in humble wisdom in the context of community. How should we live? Let's recognize that as we lay out this life in Christ, we too are influenced by tradition. We're influenced by tradition. And in this room, watching online, there's a a variety of faith traditions that are represented. You all come from very different places. They come from uh, churches and experiences. Sometimes um, it's no church experience or whatever, and, and so you've got those traditional aspects of who you are and how you think about life. We have to unpack those bags. There are some of us that come into this community uh, carrying the bags of our uh, previous traditions. And so how do we walk in unity and faithfulness to the gospel as a community marked by his grace in faithfulness? We do so as we come to the table with humility and wisdom in community. How do we search the scriptures together, right? So there's this tradition. Let's understand that we bring tradition to the table in this. None of us comes to the table without the the travel companions of our tradition or our culture. Or our culture. We bring the culture to the table with us. Just even different parts of the United States of America have different cultural aspects, different values, depending on where we grew up and how values were instilled in us as children or not instilled in us as children. We bring those things to bear. But we bring our traditions, we bring our cultures, we we need an awareness of them even as we are guided by the scripture. And so as we come to uh, scripture with humility and wisdom in community, we recognize some of those lenses that come preformed in us that we might search scripture with what God reveals about himself in shaping us as his people. And so scripture is above all in determining how we must live. But we must recognize that we often see scripture through the lenses of tradition and culture. And so we approach with humility and wisdom in community. I experienced this with some of the, 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 the pastors in the area that I'm friends with. We come from different traditions. Uh, my friend Pat serves in a different church in our community. And uh, we have different traditions that we come from, different uh, cultures that, that we grapple with. But we come and sit before the Lord in humility and wisdom, seeking his scripture in community. Um, uh, some dear friends, uh, Rick and Mark, pastor different churches in our community. Uh, Kevin and Brian and Dave are different uh, pastors in the community. We come from different cultures and traditions, but we come with a humility to the table, not a judgment. We're going to think differently about some things, but we come unified by Christ because all of us acknowledge we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That is what binds us together. And we figure these other pieces out that we might walk in faithfulness and unity as the people of God marked by his grace. You listen to the story that Lizanne shared just a little bit ago and how they experienced this in Ecuador and and people bringing their questions to the table and wrestling through that in community. Did you hear her talk about that? And how they wrestled with big questions in that community. But it was a safe place to bring those questions and to search scripture together. It wasn't that somebody brought the question and one person just laid out the the answer. They discerned those things together as they searched scripture together in community. I loved that story, Lizanne, and what that looks like. Um, And that's what the church should feel like as we grow in wisdom and humility in the love of the Lord. And so how do we do that and and how can we begin to, to look at some of these things? Um, the consultants that we've been working with as a church, uh, some of you have gotten to meet them, kind of laid this out for us in, in, in three layers and how we hold to decisions and, and make decisions that we make. And they laid it out in, in kind of a bullseye, three layers. So there should be a slide, I think, that gives us a little bit of a bullseye look here. And there's uh, a few different ways that we look at this. Absolutes, convictions, and preferences. Did we make it up there yet? We good? Maybe we're not. All right. Um, So if you kind of imagine at the core of this bullseye is absolutes, you move out a layer. There we go. Thanks, Janelle. 
Um, we move out uh, to our convictions, and then we have preferences around these outer rings. And these are all things that are at play. And a lot of times in us, we can get those things confused. Absolutes, these are the clear teachings of Scripture. They're non-negotiable. They're the things of the gospel that move into any culture. It doesn't matter if you live in Zimbabwe, in um, Tuscaloosa, or... Tokyo. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. These are the things that are the clear teachings of Scripture that anchor us to who he is, how God has revealed himself. These absolutes that are there. And so uh, it's going to be things like um, what we just talked about. Like salvation is through the grace of Jesus alone. That is salvation. Um, God has revealed himself as creator of all that is. Like these are, are absolutes that anchor us. And it doesn't matter what culture you go into. I remember I had the opportunity to preach in Kenya uh, a number of years ago. This was maybe seven or eight, no, ten years ago now. Gosh. All right. Goes fast. Enjoy the gray hair. Um, so about ten years ago. And so, uh, you know, this was, and, and it, was, it was out there. So flew into Nairobi. We drove six miles west uh, out through the Maasai Mara into those beautiful places. And, um, and that's where we were staying, kind of our home base. And on this particular day, we drove another three hours. And then we parked where the, the trucks, the four by fours, couldn't even go because we had to walk another two hours into a village, right? So this is a remote part of the thing. And most of the people in this village had never even heard of Jesus. And as a pastor there, I got to um, preach. And so here I'm standing in front of this village, and mostly people haven't heard of Jesus. And, and, and the beginning point was to understand, create, like, look, we can see creation. This actually all came from somebody. There is a creator. And then we told the story of God who revealed himself not just in creation, but in the sacrificial life of Jesus uh, to draw all people to himself, including these people who had never heard of him. And it was this beautiful moment as people responded, not in mass, but people were hungry and awakening to who Jesus is and were hungry for that message. And so these are absolutes that we take, no matter what the culture is, they're absolutes that we take. And, and I had to wrestle with that, even as we're walking out, I found out I was going to be doing some preaching, I'm walking, and I'm not paying attention to the conversation there, because I was recognizing all the filters through which I had put the story of Jesus that were probably more cultural even than absolute. And so there's absolutes. There's convictions. These are things that are probably grounded in, in Scripture. They're, they're strong beliefs, but they're, there's interpretations of Scripture. So we say, our best shot is understanding Scripture says this, but we can also hold it with a measure of charity for other people who hold our same absolutes by interpret these types of Scriptures a little bit differently. And so we take baptism. As a church, we hold the conviction that Scripture teaches that baptism is by immersion for those who have made the decision to follow Jesus. There are other Jesus-following, Bible-believing church Christian communities who have, who, have, who have searched the Scriptures and done their humble work before him that have come to a, a decision to say that, that baptism is, 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 a, is for infants, that infants can be baptized into the covenant community of God's people. Right? Those are different decisions. They're born out of convictions. They're not wishy-washy. But, but because we hold the absolutes together, we can, we can hold those with, with charity. Right? You've seen that? And we can still claim to be brothers and sisters in Jesus. And then there's preferences. These are just matters of personal choice. And so um, what kind of music there is? Right? So somebody might prefer uh, hymns out of a hymn book. Somebody else will prefer... Uh, music from a band. And then all the variations between them. So we have preferences in this too. And then what can happen is we get preferences, convictions, and absolutes all tangled up. And so we live in a pluralistic society where we've tried to ditch truth and our culture, by and large, has ditched truth, and so everybody gets to make up their own truth. And so we're all walking around bumping into each other as we wrestle with these things, make up our own truths, and we've forgotten absolutes we turn preferences into convictions, and then we fight, malign, judge, and kill over it. And so part of approaching with humility and discernment in community is there's recognition that we are shaped and influenced by tradition and culture, but we search the scriptures together in community. The scriptures were always meant to be read and studied in community. This is how God shows us who he is. And this is what it means to be his church and his people. It doesn't mean we're taking scripture and just putting it into the willy-nilly machine and enjoying our preferences. 
but we come with humility. We come with um, wisdom seeking and discernment in the context of community. All right. So what are the implications of this for us? Well, they're vast because as we even wrestle with this notion of absolutes, convictions, and preference, let's make sure that we come to the table even having done some work for ourselves. What are my absolutes? What are the things that I will not bend on? What are the things that God has revealed about himself that transcend culture and transcend tradition? What are the things that are truly convictions for me? And we may part company in um, kind of the regular rhythms of a local church life, maybe, but let's hold to those things in appropriate ways. And then let's own our preferences as well. We don't like to just say, well, this is just my preference. We want to say, we want to give it the oomph of, this is my conviction, or this is my absolute. But in doing so, when we mix those things up, what we do is we erode the unity of God's spirit. We erode the potency of Christ and Christ alone. And we turn it into a battlefield that is unnecessary. We turn it into a battlefield that gives the enemy great joy. And we turn it into a battlefield where we are unable to bear witness to the lordship of Jesus to a world that is so confused and dying and living in and going to hell, right? It is imperative that we are a people who bear the mark of his grace, not only in our salvation, but in the working out of salvation in faithful living as we walk with God together as his people. So I want to dial it into just a, the big three for us in the implications. Anchor ourselves in this. We are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Full stop. We are saved. We are freed from our sin and the bondage of sin and death through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Full stop. Faithfulness, number two, faithfulness to live into our salvation requires wrestling. We are unpacking the bags that we brought to the table of faith in Jesus and our salvation and taking up his life. It requires wrestling. Not every aspect in the same way, but it requires wrestling. What does it look like to walk in faithfulness to the lordship of Jesus, our savior and our king? And as we wrestle, we wrestle with humility and wisdom in community. Not in gossip and slander and that. That's not what I mean by wrestling with it in community. I mean coming to the table in honesty and, and candor and humility with a posture of humility together. This is how we walk with him. We are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Faithfulness to live into that salvation requires wrestling. And together we wrestle with humility and wisdom in community. Don't isolate yourself. Don't walk just in your own stuff. Don't be ignorant of the stuff that you bring to the table through your culture, through the lenses that have already been given to you. And let us approach him as he has revealed himself. In his story from beginning to end, he has revealed himself as we wrestle together as his people. Let me pray for us. God, this is a wrestling and, and it just had, I had to wrestle through even some of this stuff and looking at how James spoke that out and the council of Jerusalem worked this through and it, uh, it was challenging even to me and I suspect it does for us. And so help us to wrestle well, help us to wrestle in faithfulness and humility because in all these things we are anchored by you and what you have done and that through your son Jesus, through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, you have overcome sin and death, that we might be saved, that we might be freed. Continue to do that work in us, that we might walk in the life that you have given us at such great cost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are anchored and held together by Jesus. We are saved by the grace of Jesus. So how perfect for us to take a moment and remember his death. As we take the bread, his broken body, as we drink the cup, his shed blood, 
This is an absolute that binds us by his grace. Parents, talk with your kids about what's happening here. As the trays go by, show them what's going on. Might not even be time for them to be able to participate in it, but, but show them and teach them. If you're here, you don't have to be a member of this church to celebrate communion with us. You just have to be in right relationship with God, which is a mark of what? His grace. And if you have received that mark of grace and are his, then join us at the table as we remember the Lord's sacrifice for us. If you're here and you have not yet made that decision to follow Jesus, we don't want to ask you to do something that is not consistent with where you're at on the journey. We love that you're here, but feel free to let the tray go right on by. Nobody's going to look at you weird. Um, But again, don't want to ask you to do something that's not consistent with where you're at on your journey as you're exploring who Jesus is. All right? As the team serves us, the trays are going to go by. Take a piece of the bread. Take a cup if you'd hold it. I'll be back in just a moment, and we'll receive it together as his people. celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples and and during that meal he broke the bread and he did something like the Passover was a meal to commemorate God's rescue God's salvation from slavery in Egypt and here the world was captured not by the Egyptians but by sin and death and so as Jesus celebrated that meal he wrote himself into the story he himself was the Passover lamb who came to take away the sin of the world and so he broke the bread and said this is my body broken for you so whenever you do this remember me and so today we pause we remember with thanksgiving his body broken for you take it and eat it and give thanks then he took the cup he says my blood poured out 
for a new covenant, a new way to relate with God, no longer bound by a covenant of law that leads to death, but welcomed into a covenant based on love, grace, that leads to life, life now and life forever. And here the master sat with his followers and said, take it and drink it. And so today, take it and drink it and know his life poured out for you. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. For in you all is well. The world rages around us and the storms are fierce. But it all centers on you, Jesus, what you have done for us. We are filled to overflowing with gratitude that by your death we might have life. Thank you. We worship you and we honor you, not only with our words, but with our lives for your glory and our good. Receive our thanks. Amen. Amen. Stand, if you would, please.
And Jesus is the one that makes it well with our soul. Whatever storm rages around, he is the one that anchors us. Salvation is by the grace of the Lord Jesus, full stop. If you have not tasted the goodness of new life in him and his salvation, you can do that today. If you're hungry for freedom, for joy, for peace that can never be stolen, you can come to him today. We've got some folks up here in our prayer team who'd love to pray with you. You just come forward and said, I want Jesus today. We'll take it from there and you will know his life. There is no other way. And as you leave through these doors today, may you know the goodness of his love alive in you. May your soul be well. I also hope you'll join us for lunch. So feel free to head right on over to the commons. There's plenty of room for you. Our grow team is ready to serve you there. And we're going to spend some more time with Dave and Lizanne Molin as they share some specifics. And we enjoy a good meal together. So stick around. Even if this is your first time here, we'd love to get to know you a little bit. Hang out, have lunch with us. See what God's up to. We'll get to know you a little bit better. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you next week. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.